0: Last fall, as we took note of the Jewish High Holidays, I spoke of the need for each of us to care enough to seek forgiveness, to make amends, to desire reconciliation with those whom we have harmed. In these days in which our Jewish sisters and brothers seek both atonement for their broken promises to God, as well as repair for their broken relationships with other people, it is good to think about how we say we're sorry for the things we've done wrong. And yet, that's only half of the equation. The other half, and I think the harder half, is forgiving. Forgiving ourselves for the ways in which we've fallen short, for the mistakes we've made, for the infinite things we beat ourselves up for every day. Forgiving those who have offended us, who have perpetrated some wrong against us, forgiving those who have broken our trust, made us angry, or hurt us emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, or physically. Whatever and whoever we are called to forgive, it is not easy work, but it's necessary work for the repair of the world. Philosopher, theologian, and rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, writes of the necessary qualities we must cultivate in order to be in relationship with people who are different from us. In his book, The Dignity of Difference, How to Avoid the Clash of Civilizations, Sachs outlines a theological blueprint for globalization, calling us to reclaim the religious language of covenant, that open, living, sacred agreement between and among people in navigating differences in our increasingly complex world. The seven qualities Sachs lists as necessary to cultivate are these, control, the capacity to make moral decisions in the face of rapid social and technological change. Contribution, the understanding that we are surrounded by abundance and need to make sure that abundance reaches those who are in need. Compassion, the need for justice and mercy as moral values in the political and economic world. Creativity, the value of continued innovation and discovery. Cooperation, the interdependence of all life and the need for relationships and institutions that bind us together. Conservation, the good stewardship of our earth and its resources, and finally, conciliation, the need for forgiveness, to break the cycles of violence, revenge, and grief in our world. The need for forgiveness in our world penetrates even the most difficult and intractable situations and clashes. Sachs writes, in the late summer of 1999, I visited Kosovo. The NATO action was nearing an end, and the refugees had returned. There was some semblance of normal life, yet the tension was palpable. A few months earlier, it had been the Kosovar Albanians who had been in fear for their lives. Some 800,000 had fled, 10,000 had been killed. And now it was the Serbs who were afraid. There were murders taking place nightly. The conflict, he writes, was not over. It was just just a little bit beneath the surface, ready to erupt again. Sachs continues, it was then, standing in the center of Pristina, amid the wreckage and rubble of war, that I understood as never before the power of a single word to change the world, the word forgiveness. The conflict there had started more than six centuries earlier in the Battle of Kosovo in 1389. Both sides retained strong memories of that event. It had been a recurring theme in their history ever since. If Serbs and Albanians could forgive one another and act so as to be forgiven by one another, they would have a future. If not, they were destined to replay the Battle of 1389 until the end of time. The work of forgiveness, Sachs points out, is necessary for the people of Kosovo to move on from hundreds of years of violence, killing, ethnic cleansing, and threats. Few societies have mastered the fragile art of forgiveness. Some though are trying very hard to get it right, even for the most heinous of deeds. Take South Africa, for example, where decades of apartheid came to an end in 1990. Shortly thereafter, the government of South Africa set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, charged with bearing witness to the crimes of the previous 50 years. Led by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the commission heard testimony for two whole years, investigating the petitions of over 7,000 people who wanted to make restitution to seek amends for what they had done. A decade after the commission's report, its efforts stand as a remarkable attempt to bring forgiveness to a population sorely in need of the ability to move on. A population of people, many of whom had been systematically abused for years, and many of whom had been forced to participate in that abuse. Whether it was ultimately successful in doing this is a matter of some debate, and is a matter that will not be settled for many years to come, but the effort was remarkable nonetheless. In South Africa, leaders understood that the past cannot be undone, however horrible it was. There, they recognized that forgetting was not an option, however attractive it might seem to try. Jonathan Sachs quotes Ogden Nash as having once said that no man ever forgets where he buried the hatchet. Indeed, this is why forgiveness is so difficult as well. It runs against human nature, that nature that tells us to dig up that hatchet and take one more whack. Sachs writes that forgiveness is the ability to live with the past without being held captive by the past. And yet forgiveness, he reminds us, is also the most compelling testimony to human freedom. Forgiveness proves that we are not compelled to act in a certain way just because something happened to us. It proves that we are free to make a better decision, even when faced with decades or centuries of the cycle of hatred and violence as the people in South Africa and Kosovo are. The work of forgiveness is the work of turning outwards from ourselves. Desiderius Erasmus, a theologian and humanist philosopher of the late 15th and early 16th centuries, wrote in 1511 that a man dead to all sense of nature and common actions and no more moved with love or pity than if he were a flint or rock whose censure nothing escapes that commits no errors thyself but has a lynx's eyes upon others, measures everything by an exact line and forgives nothing, Places himself with himself only. Erasmus understood that forgiveness was an act of placing oneself in a relationship with another, of doing something for the good of another in order to do something for one's own good. Forgiveness is a great gift we can give to another. I've seen the hold it can have over people, the torment that the lack of forgiveness can wreak upon people who have done even very bad things. Almost 10 years ago now, I was active in work with the Rape Crisis Center of Durham. There, I served as a crisis advocate for survivors of rape and sexual abuse and their families. And I participated in various educational programs around Durham. Most of those educational programs were in schools. We also, however, trained police officers and hospital workers. But one of those programs, however, was an experience I will never forget. On two occasions, I volunteered to be part of a team of rape crisis advocates that visited a program for convicted sex offenders, called SOAR, for sex offender accountability and responsibility. The program took place in the Harnett Correctional Institution, a medium security state prison in Lillington, North Carolina. In order to get into the program, The men had to admit to what they had done and had to be willing to submit to hundreds of hours of therapy and confrontational programs about their offenses. In return, they received no special treatment in prison. In fact, many of them were treated worse by their fellow inmates once they had admitted to crimes of abuse and rape. One two-hour session towards the end of the months-long program invited rape crisis advocates to talk with the men in a group setting. We were supposed to be honest about what we had experienced, to tell them the stories of the lives that we had seen shattered by rape and sexual abuse, to give them some glimpse of the post-traumatic stress disorder that gave survivors flashbacks in the middle of the night for years flashbacks strong enough to call a crisis hotline in terror. We were as close to their victims as they ever were going to get. On both of the occasions that I participated in this program, I was overwhelmed by the intense longing of these men for forgiveness. After months of grueling punishment and voluntary therapy, most of them wished very sincerely that they could take back what they had done. And many of them wanted nothing more than to tell the person they had harmed how very sorry they were. Few of them, however, understood why this was never going to be an option for them. And it was part of our job to let them know that. For all we could do to tell them stories and listen to theirs, forgiveness was the one thing we could not ever give them and it seemed sometimes that it was all they really wanted. It was hard to participate in that program. I'm amazed I signed up for it twice, to be honest with you. It was hard to see humanity, much less inherent worth and dignity, in some of the people I encountered in that program. The few people who, despite this program, would not come to terms with what they had done to another person. It was hard to see the pain of survivors on a daily basis, and then also see the pain of perpetrators. It reminded me that cycles of violence hurt everyone caught up in them. But most of all, it was hard to see people begging for forgiveness. Our capacity to forgive is something to be explored, even when it is truly painful and most difficult. Forgiveness is a great spiritual virtue that we can and should cultivate in ourselves whether or not others seek it from us, whether or not those who have wronged us seek to atone or to apologize. No less an authority on Jewish teaching than Maimonides once wrote that if someone is sinned against by another and the offended party does not wish to rebuke him or to say anything to him, then if one forgives him in his heart and bears no animosity against him and does not rebuke him, this is indeed the way of saintliness. Forgiveness is ultimately a gift we give ourselves. To cultivate a practice of forgiveness, we are asked to make a radical choice in favor of healing. We are asked to let go of our hate, our animosity, our hurt, and to move on to what then becomes possible. Forgiveness is an act of love. Sachs reminds us that at the heart of the concept of forgiveness is the idea of love, not abstract love, but the real concrete attachment of one being for another. Love, he writes, distinguishes between the person and the deed, an act may be evil, But since the person is free, he or she is not inseparably joined to that evil. And so, as we reflect today upon our own mistakes, on our own failings, on our own sources of atonement, let us also learn to forgive. Let us love even those whom it is hardest for us to love. Let us do this as the ultimate act of hope for the future. Our world will be better for it. We will be better for it. May it be so.